0: Welcome to the podcast. This is Matt Sodnikar, and this episode kicks off a series of several that focus on comedy. Uh, I've been doing improv comedy here in Parker for oh about a year. Didn't really know a whole lot about it and got involved with Parker Players. There's a lot of fascinating stories with this art form, and I wanted to talk to the people that I... Train with, rehearse with, just listen to their stories. So, over the course of the next few episodes, there's going to be a lot of a lot of interesting stories about how people came to become improv performers and what that means to them. And there's also a stand-up comedian here in Denver, so listen for that. But I just thought that the stories and the community that I'm a part of would be interesting to talk about. So with that, here is episode one talking about Parker players. And just a quick note, uh, I joke with one of the uh, performers here about her being (laughs) the angel of death with respect to relationships. And after the episode, which she took in good fun, uh, Crystal has turned out to be actually the uh, rising phoenix of relationships. We just had to reframe that. But uh, So enjoy, and uh, if you get a chance... I highly recommend checking out Improv for yourself, even if you never get on stage. It's uh, a lot of fun and very practical life skills. So with that, let's kick off the first in the comedy series with Grant, Crystal, and Casey. I don't know how I'm making this up as I go. What are your qualifications? Ah, uh, well, I attended Juilliard. I'm a graduate of Harvard Business School. I travel quite extensively.
1: I have people skills. I am good at dealing with people. You just don't know when to give up, do you?
0: I could do this all day. The
2: Matt Sadnikar Podcast. know well, who's whose that last name is Ray?
1: Some people have the last name Ray.
2: Just seems a little short. Sugar Ray. Yeah.
1: yeah stevie okay
2: i'll just Stevie it a, a vaughn <laughs>
0: <laughs> okay here we go all right welcome to the podcast i'm your host matt sodnikar i'm here with three of my improv friends grant garrison crystal kozar and casey stellman welcome everybody thank you thank you thanks so, uh, Grant, I'd like to first start with you, and then we'll go to Crystal and then Casey for the listeners at home. Just, I'd like to talk about your path to improv. This is going to be another series, another episode in the improv podcast series. But how did this come to be for you? How did this art form? This, how did you find this?
2: Yeah. So, I grew up um, in Fort Collins, Colorado. And I was not, uh, I didn't understand the value of education when I was younger. I did not care about school um, when I was in high school. I discovered music when I was in high school, and that's when I got really into it. I got very much into my guitar and um, becoming a musician, and then... Once I graduated high school, as everybody does, you don't really have to try in education to graduate high school. You just need to attend. (laughs) So that's all I did. I attended school, but I didn't do homework. I didn't study. uh, And I I graduated. uh, And then I went to Front Range Community College, but that's when I began to really become a serious musician, and I got very involved in the Fort Collins music scene uh, in various uh, bands. And I was just kind of... I knew that's at the time what I was super passionate about. It. I loved going on stage and I loved entertaining uh, other people with my music. And I, I was still meandering beyond that. I didn't know what I liked. I didn't know what really made me happy besides music. And I eventually got accepted into Colorado State University. And while I was there, I took acting one for an easy A, because I was a Van Wilder who did not know what I wanted to do <laughs> with school. So I was taking a little bit of everything, and uh, that included acting one. And, uh, when I was in acting one, I was really enjoying it, but it was it was all scripted work uh, and one-act plays that we were working on. Second City Tour Company came to town, and our professor offered extra credit for anyone who went to an improv workshop that Second City was hosting on campus, so I I went to it and the leader of the workshop was actually uh, Frank Caliendo, uh, who you see on ESPN right now, cool. who does John Madden on, on ESPN. But at the time, he he wasn't not famous yet. He was just a member of Second City Tour Company and uh, he led this improv workshop and he did some impersonations for us. He did a very good George Bush at the time, which was making us all laugh. But I just instantly connected with the art form in that two-hour workshop, I I was making people laugh naturally. I didn't feel like I was um, having to to work for it. It just I I did the workshop. I made people laugh, and at the end of the workshop, there was a local troupe there called the Clown Box that also attended, and they said, <laughs> "Hey, you know, we're the Clown Box. We we do improv. If anybody wants to keep doing this." Uh, come come, join the clown box. So I instantly went up to them and said, I love this. This was so much fun. And they said, great, um, si- uh, join us. So I uh, began attending their rehearsals and they had me on stage about a month later. And it, it was the same thing. I was super nervous about it, but I was just naturally good at it. I had very little training at the time, but I could go on stage and I could make people laugh. And it made me feel great to make people laugh. And it became the new void of entertainment that I really, really enjoyed. Music was uh, joyful to me, but I felt it was very controlled and it was very, um, uh, just very response oriented. When, When we go see a live band, we applaud no matter what. It might be a shitty band or, or a bad song, but when they're done, everybody were programmed to clap and applaud and uh, it, it didn't seem as earned as a laugh uh, because we don't give out laughs we you, we earn a laugh and when you make a crowd laugh, you know you did something that sparked something in them that that made them get this response and I enjoyed it more than music, and the two worlds became conflicting because they were both very serious my group the clown box decided that we wanted to be really good at this um, we talked about it and we were just college kids at the time but we all agreed and there, and there was only about eight of us but we all agreed that we love this art form and we want to be as good as it as we can and my band was the same way the band is like we want to be signed we want to be a famous band so we need to be dedicated to our practice we need be dedicated to getting better and I couldn't be um, that dedicated to both, so I had to choose, and I chose improv. I, uh, I felt improv was more positive. I felt like my music had a lot of masculinity attached to it, based on the t- style of music I liked. I felt like we had a, an image to obtain, where we were trying to be Pantera, and uh, people. What was the band name? The band that band was called Drop Shot. Which later became Autofate, and then <laughs> uh, uh, <laughs> awesome. Autofate. The singer Ezra Haynes, uh, eventually uh, joined the band uh, Allegian, and Allegian is is signed to Metal Blade Records right now. So one of our band members did go all the way, and he did get the big uh, record deal that, that we were all trying for. Um, but at the same time, there there was there was heavy drinking involved. There was heavy macho intimidation. Um, when we were trying to live this lifestyle that people expected from us when they came to our show and we played a heavy metal show and they wanted to party with us afterwards, they wanted us to party like heavy metal people party. So, so, uh, to, to me, it was a lot more negative. And, um, uh, with improv, my improvisers, we never felt like that. I, I, socialized with them as well, but there was a totally different attitude when we got together where we just wanted to make each other laugh. And, uh, the idea of just being silly and goofy was a lot more positive to me, and i <clears throat> i i i just felt better when I was with my improv group than I felt when I was with my band. So I made the decision to to quit my band, and I haven't looked back. I never i never got reoriented with music again after I quit. Um, but I did do a deep dive into improv. Uh, we formed a we turned our Little troupe into a non nonprofit theater and uh, also a st- an official student organization and uh, we used our our uh, student org status along with our nonprofit status to fund uh, teachers and we would use our our show money to eventually get enough money to bring in experts from Chicago and l a that we respected that we knew they were a big deal in Chicago. So we'd fly them in for the weekend to teach us uh, so that we could keep getting better. And that was all we were dedicated towards. We were, we were dedicated to just getting better. We were reading books and we were talking about it. And we did. We, we all collectively agreed that we got as good as we could get at this art form. And it wasn't enough uh, for, for any of us. So we split up out of the desire for growth. And I moved to Chicago, and uh, some of my members moved to LA, and we all continue to learn and grow and achieve success. And I first I, I went to Chicago and I began uh, studying at uh, IO or Improv Olympic, as it was formerly called. I, I completed that program, and then I got into uh, a theater house team for the first time at the Playground Theater. And they they made me a member, and I began performing regularly downtown. And that allowed me to audition for the Second City Conservatory, which is uh, very difficult to get into. You have to earn an audition in the first place. After they audition 200 people, um, they will accept about 20 of them into the conservatory. And then once you're in the conservatory, you have to audition two more times to stay in the conservatory. It's a continuous weeding out process. Uh, So I had uh, two more auditions over the next year and a half, and I I remained in my conservatory class, and I graduated uh, with eight other students, and we got to put on a show that we wrote uh, at Second City. It was a culmination of a year and a half of our work uh, at the Second City. It was our best material, and I was very, very proud of that show. It was called Baby Patrick because one of our members (laughs) looked (laughs) like... uh, he looked exactly like uh, one of our director's sons, which sounds bad, but I'm sure there's a lot of purity in that. Uh, <laughs> but uh, she, she told us, she jokingly said that um, she, she wasn't as hard on him because he reminds... Her of of her son, and then we got very curious, and we said, "Let's see your son." And she showed us baby pictures, and the face looked exactly <laughs> like one of our members, Patrick. Um, so we ended up calling our show uh, "Baby Patrick," and that, that was why,
3: because um, we all
2: we all got a big kick out of that. Um, so that's basically uh, how how I got started and and um, getting in and performing with Second City as uh, as far as I took it. Um, I don't know if we want to stop there with just intros or do you want to know about Parker players or or what?
0: Um, let's come back because I know that there's more to your story if you want to share that. But sure. yeah, let's uh go around the table and and go to Miss Crystal,
3: yeah. <laughs> So um, my story is much shorter than Graham's. <laughs> <laughs> I don't have a big journey that led me here. Um, we'll basi- be the judge of that. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> short in time, rich in flavor. Yes, no. death, death, um, yeah. I I basically I'm a Jersey girl. Um, had lots of friends in the theater. Loved the theater. Spent lots of time uh, at the theater. Never saw myself on stage at all. Um, And then moved to Colorado 22 years ago and um, got married, had three children, and um, had that relationship end. And I realized when that relationship ended that I was a very different person than who I was when I got married. And that was sad for me um, because I really liked who I was when I got married. So I um, was talking to a friend who was a part of Grant's class, and she said, you've got to come to this improv class. And I said, that is the total opposite of who I am. I can't see myself doing that, can't see myself going there. Um, And she said, all right, then just come out for drinks with us. So I went out one night, and I got to meet Grant and Casey and the other... um, Rest of Grant's gang, and realized a good friend of mine was sitting at the table. It's um, John that mm-hmm. you know, and um, John. I remember that night? Yeah, yeah you guys that, were yeah. all there. I was and in I, the garage. Yeah, and yeah. I walked in, and John was sitting there, and he's like, "Crystal, you have got to come to this class." And I said, "John, I can't do it." Um, and he said, "You know, improv training is the new c level training in big companies." And I thought, oh, tell me more, right? Because I have a job with um, some exposure, and I need to have my act together, and I need to be able to give presentations and be good on my feet. And um, John told me about um, the training that executives go through and how it's good for business and gives you confidence. And I thought, you know, confidence is something I could really use a big dose of right now. Um, And during class, I shared with Grant that a friend of mine had asked me to record uh, a one-hour interview with him that he was going to put up on his website, and I didn't feel prepared. And Grant said, give me six weeks, and I'll make it happen. And uh, (laughs) And look at you now. (laughs) And I made her a star. So um, what Grant didn't know and probably doesn't know is I went home and cried. you really? I really did. I went home and cried that night because it was so difficult to get through that two-hour class um, when you're not feeling confident and then someone puts you in a circle of 12 people you don't know and you have to do these exercises and he's teaching you to dig deep inside of yourself and pull out emotion and pull out a frame of mind that you have previously not allowed yourself to access. Um, it's very emotionally difficult. and. I hated it, and I was sweaty, and I was crying when I got home, and I said, I'm never doing that again. <laughs> and then next Saturday I went back. <laughs> I'm so proud of you. I know. And um, it probably took two months for me to be okay going to class and not be a little rattled by the exercises that we did. But I think that that – is a sign that's directly proportional to how I was feeling that shows you emotionally um, how much I had to make up in my level of confidence. Um, So that's how I got there and then once I started I met the wonderful people that were there I loved the transformation that I saw in myself I loved getting the direction from Grant and um, It had been a long time since I felt like I had people in my life that would have supported the transformation to see me as someone different than who I was, and that's what these guys were all about.
1: So, That's beautiful. That's how it happened. Nice. My turn?
0: Yes. Okay.
1: Um, Casey. I, I grew up in Minnesota, and... I think the first time I fell in love with theater, I was in middle school and I was in, um, I was going to St. Scholastica, which is like a nunnery, really odd. And they had a nonprofit theater and I was in the Odyssey and did a couple other like Romeo and Juliet random plays that I, I loved it. I loved theater. I was super avid. I became a huge theater nerd when I was 12, 13, 14. And then Um, I started playing hockey, and that was a a six-night-a-week commitment. So it was like I had to choose one or the other. I couldn't do both. So I dedicated um, basically all my high school years to hockey. And then um, I had a lot of weird turns. It was in a really dark place after high school. I had a couple friends um, pass away. And then when I was 21, I just picked up and I moved to Colorado. And I went to school for numbers. I absolutely hate numbers. So when I realized, oh, this is what my career is going to be, <laughs> <the> numbers, <laughs> I fell into a super <laughs> dark wah. <laughs> <laughs> <Yeah. laughs> so I, and I hate finance. It's it's a wonderful thing. It's an evil necessity. But um, I was living in a terrible, whole shit apartment um, north of Denver. It was so gross. It was riddled with bugs. I was so depressed, and so I was just really, really in a dark place, and I needed to feed my creative side because I was, like, dying inside slowly. So I I remembered um, one of the things that stood out to me when I was 13, when I was in the play, one of the kids forgot his lines, so I, I improvised. And I said a few things, and it got a reaction out of the audience, and my director was super happy. He was like, you know, you, you improvised. That was awesome. You did a great job. And I thought, well, I never, ever explored improv. And I love... Laughter, that's how I deal with everything, is um, just having a dark, cynical sense of humor. So I googled um, improv in the Denver area. There was a bunch of different options. And I chose Parker Players because it was a drop-in, no long-term commitment. <laughs> and because I was like, I don't want to put up, you know, 250 if I'm not going to like this or if it's going to scare the crap out of me. So I went all the way to Bumfuck Parker Um, even though it was 45 minutes from my house Hmm. and the other theater was 10 minutes away, I thought this is a better fit and I showed up and there's three other like random goofballs that were there and I met Grant and I did some research on him and I was like, wow, he actually knows his shit. He is legitimate and knows what he's talking about and then from then on out, I just fell in love with improv. It was, it was It was just meant to be. And it's helped me grow so much. It was just, it was truly like a huge transformation for me um, to be able to have something to look forward to every week that I knew I could just let loose and basically have adult recess and not be intimidated when I'm having these calls with, you know, big commercial bankers. I'm no longer um, as shaky or timid. I've definitely grew into my own confidence and I, I I'm a lot more honest and upfront with people and I'm able to like detect bullshit much easier. So, yeah.
0: Well, and I haven't touched on this in any of my episodes with any guests, but that's sort of how I found the group as well. Um, I, my marriage fell apart last September And I was working at home and I knew I needed to get out and do something that wasn't just going to a bar or something like that. So I just had this huge vacuum. And I may have shared that in one of the first classes with Grant, but I don't think I've told you or you, but one of those things was just like looking for something creative that I could get a skill out of, whether it was art or, or something. So I looked at the Parker... Uh, Pace Center website, and they had this class that started, and walked in, and I hadn't seen you in twelve years. I'm pointing okay. to Crystal right now. Um, we right. were friends when our kids were very, very little, and uh, walked in, and it was <clears throat> something that for two hours I was so overwhelmed with the games and the skills. Like, I don't have the problem with public speaking. But being so focused on learning something new, for that two hours, it for basically that whole September through December, just gave me two hours of something else to think about, because I was so overwhelmed with learning even simple games, zip zap zop, or word at a time stories, and just like, I it, I just hung on to that like. A life preserver. So that was that was really cool. And so just everybody was just supportive and friendly. And to then end up just having a whole new circle of friends was just incredible.
3: Yeah, and like Casey said, it is adult recess, right? It's like having a play date with your friends when you're six years old, right? and you laugh the whole time. Mm-hmm. I would end class and think. I haven't laughed for two straight hours (laughs) at any point over the age of 14 probably, right? For two straight hours to just laugh. And it builds intimacy across all these people because you see people struggle. You see people nail it on the first time and then you see everything in between. And you're watching people learn and grow and learn about themselves in front of the group
0: it's and it's not like bullshit like um touchy-feely support encouragement like it's legitimately one of the most ego-free but open and welcome and friendly places that i've ever experienced like i don't see it in the bike world i don't see it in the corporate world there's always something that is one-upping or you know people are guarded or something like that but this was the the friendships i've made just in a short amount of time have been very deep and very intense but real and that's what i love about it it's just such a a really cool experience
1: and it's so real but it's so much fun because you can be whoever you want so you can completely escape reality that's my favorite thing is that you get to Exactly. You can be whoever you want to be for two hours. And it's so much fun. <laughs> and it, like, forces you to expose your vulnerability, like, to piggyback off what you were saying. And, you know, like, your process of getting there and not having any confidence. And it's so hard because we put up so many walls and fronts, like, in the day-to-day life. And it's like, you don't have to, you, you have to be so vulnerable and honest with each other. Mm-hmm. And it's, it. you can't, you can't not be. <laughs> Otherwise, it's just. It's all fake, and it's so much fun. Yeah. And if what I love
3: the most when we're playing these games is if you have a fear, you can explore it through a character and watch it play out, and then you feel differently about it afterwards, right? Or if you love to do something, you can build it into whatever you're working on and have fun. Yeah, If If you're sad, you can make your character sad. Like, you can just... Every single class is different. Every single game, you you can be different. Well,
1: when you were saying the other day, you're like, you always bring up butt stuff, and I'm (laughs) terrified. (laughs) I'm so afraid of butt stuff. (laughs) That's (laughs) probably. That's exactly why.
2: Follow your fear. I'm terrified of anal, so I always. (laughs) I always talk about it in my scene work. I'm a character that loves anal.
0: So yeah, if you Truth want to be number comedy. Anal. <laughs> yeah. a to the scene with Casey.
3: <laughs> <laughs>
0: this will be your best seller. Yeah. <laughs> so true. But well everybody else's thoughts on Anal?
1: <laughs> 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 I'm glad this is explicit. <laughs>
2: well as far as fear goes, I mean,
1: <laughs> What are you afraid of, Grant?
2: It's not that I. It's not the. It's not what I'm afraid of. It's not that. Um, it's not that improv to me. It's. It's not restricted to just this class or this group. It's. It's a philosophy. It's a lifestyle. Um, it, it's. It's life changing, and uh, I. I'm inspired by the stories that people tell me about, about what they get out of improv. That's why I started this theater. That's why I, I want to continue growing the theater. Cause I want those people to have those experiences because I had, um, I had the same experiences. My, mine was, uh, in reverse. I, I already knew improv. Um, and, and when I met my wife, she met an improviser. I'd already been doing improv at the time and she came with me to Chicago and, Um, And we had a very good marriage for for seven uh, of the 10 years we were together. But when I quit improv, I quit because when I came back to Colorado, I I had no nothing to accomplish in Colorado at all. I was at the peak of my game in Chicago. I mean, we I, I do consider Chicago to be the absolute best improvisers in the world. Uh, they're great in LA and they're great in New York too, but Chicago is where it started. And uh, Chicago has got the right attitude. We, it's very much an ego free environment. People don't move to Chicago to get famous. Uh, you might get on Sternet Live from Chicago, but Sternet Live is your only hope. There's just not a lot of movies that are made there compared to an LA or New York. So it was very ego free, very supportive. And when I came back to Colorado, the the scene is just not developed here, and I didn't have any motivation, so I thought that improv was done in my life, and I quit. And I became depressed without realizing it. My idea of depression was dark. It was all, I want to kill myself. That's what I thought a depressed person must think. And I didn't have those thoughts, so I didn't realize I was depressed. But I didn't have an identity. And fear began to manifest itself in my life, and I became very isolated. I didn't want to have a life. I didn't want to socialize with others. I didn't want to get to know others. And I became a very uh, boring person who was happy just coming home, uh, being with my family, and doing nothing creative, nothing exciting. And, And that's when ultimately my marriage began to fall apart because I became... Uh, a, a different person without improv. Um, and through that falling apart, it is helped me to realize that I need improv more than improv needs me. It's an absolute true statement because I am a fearful introvert without improv. That's just my personality type. I don't I don't go out of my way to meet people. I'm very, very satisfied alone. But through improv um, and through our belief of following our fear, you begin to, you become more comfortable with doing all kinds of things that scare you. And that could be as simple as a conversation with a stranger. Um, oddly enough, that's something that I would normally be fearful of. But when I'm doing regular improv on a weekly basis, when I have my improv mind going, a simple interaction with that it seems so much easier. And although it intimidates me, I can I can do it and I become more social and I have a more interesting life again. And I, I, I've i uh, restored who I used to be, which is not, I never was this, this hermit that was happy living in this basement watching football. I was, <laughs> you know, I was someone who, who lived for the stage and I would perform four shows a week and I loved it. And Uh, You know, I had a a large community of improvisers and we were all motivated to making each other look good. It was it was a selfless uh, lifestyle that we consistently pushed each other to be better. And and now I'm doing that again. I I started Parker Players and I uh, push myself to be better uh, through it every single week as I push my students uh, equally as hard uh, they might say harder. Harder, right? yeah, they it harder. say harder, right? They probably say harder, but uh, you know, I'm I'm const- constantly pushing them uh, to to follow their fear and to be a real improviser, and and I'm trying my best to create this scene in Chicago here in Colorado.
0: So, Crystal, what has improv done for you since you first discovered it? <clears throat> And I wanted to go back to something you said if you don't mind, sure, so when you had mentioned that you had changed after your divorce and you weren't did you say you weren't happy with yourself, what was what was that, and then how i mean improvs a part of that, but how has that changed over the past couple of years?
3: yeah, so um, before I got married, I was really funny. I remember just being surrounded by funny people a lot of banter, a lot of laughter, 22 years later, a significant relationship ends. And I had to actually look for things to laugh about. And sometimes funny things would happen. And I saw opportunity to make them even funnier. And the words weren't there, the emotion wasn't there, the the, desire wasn't there um so what grant has taught us is that the funny is always there because the funny is in real life right yeah the funny is all around us so to be able to identify it and add to it and blow it up into the funniest it can be is something that i've enjoyed learning how to get back um So I have um, taken those skills, and I feel like I'm a better mom because of it, because now I'm able to Take an average everyday moment with my children and actually turn it into a funny moment. And they actually say <laughs> this is funny. Sometimes we'll be sitting in the kitchen doing random everyday bullshit and they'll I'll say something and they'll be like, Okay, please stop. Are you improving right now? <laughs> they're like, they're like, Could we just get through dinner without you being funny? <laughs> No. <laughs> it's my house. <laughs> so um, I, it's what I feel I'm bringing to them is to help them find the funny every single day because that's a skill that I think everyone should have. The funny doesn't always come to us. Um, I think it's, it's a, an important attribute to have to be able to take everyday life, lighten the mood, Make things funny um, and hopefully contribute to the happiness of anyone you're hanging out in a room with, whether you know them or not. Um, but I've also been able to take those skills and transfer them to business. Um, last October, my uh, executive vice president said, You know, we're throwing, I just got approval, we're going to hold a meeting, 250 people, we're all going to Ohio. Crystal, I want you to be the meeting uh, organizer and I want you to be the MC
1: <laughs>
3: <laughs> and I was speechless and shocked and I was like oh I'm probably not the best person for this she's like no you're the best person for this so um, there was a lot of planning and logistics and I got to look for the keynote speaker and I ended up getting an improv guy from LA from that scene and getting to know him really well but I um, I was able to take what I learned in improv, and use it to uh, create this amazing event. But also get up on stage. The the woman who two years prior um, didn't want to talk to anyone when she was in a in a room full of strangers was able to um, address a crowd of two fifty knowing maybe only 10 personally in the audience, and then um, work with different speakers and create their vignettes and create their presentations with them and um, work with the AV guys and the corporate planners and pull all of this together and actually get on stage and teach some of the people in the room who go into doctor's offices across the country, these improv skills because they needed to be able to manage conversations and get their audience to yes. And that's what we ended up calling it, the art of getting to yes. Mm. Um, And we created this um, wonderful event based on a lot of the skills that I learned under Grant's direction. Um, So it's definitely been very positive thing in my life professionally also.
0: So when does that
2: book come out?
3: <laughs>
1: <laughs> the Art of Getting to Yes, yes. <laughs> right?
2: Sounds like a male seduction book. Yeah. <laughs>
3: Every CEO should yes. read it. You need consent. <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> That's really cool. I didn't yeah. know that. yeah. That's awesome. Yeah. Thanks. It was a lot of mm. fun, but I think the takeaway is the woman who... I was would not have been able to pull that off and even though like Grant said you know I'm dying inside while I'm doing it because I know I'm not a hundred percent through that transformation or that journey yet I was able to do it um and then go back to my room and and be the introvert and alone and get back into my head but when it was necessary I was out of my head and I was able to I- impart some um, positivity and fun and, you know, group dynamic and exercises in a really crowded room. So.
0: Do you remember which games you played or which exercises you did?
3: Um, we took some um, basic skills, not coined games, and we expanded on them to... Um, to build the setting that you're in a doctor's office and you need your client to do something and they're not on board. What mm. would you do? And we actually taught them to hear what they were saying and make it a yes and game and add to it. Um, oh, okay. Learning some skills <clears throat> from our keynote at the same time who was a big Condé Nast uh, sales guy. So we had... Um, We had a lot of fun with it. I think we did some play acting on stage, too. We had people um, play the role of the doctor and play the role of the care consultant in the field and have these conversations go on and and really struggle on stage in real time (laughs) so everybody could see this is how you can change that conversation. So it was
1: wonderful.
0: And what has improv done
1: for you since you've discovered it, Casey? Um lots it's 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 hard to put into words almost. Um, basically like i i I moved to Colorado to an escape a really abusive relationship and I um was stalked for a while after moving here. And I've just been really hyper vigilant, totally closed off to other people, um, males in particular, um, and just very against um, meeting new people, really, and trusting. I have a huge issue with trusting humans. So improv is basically all based in trust. If you don't trust the people that you're on stage with, you know you have nothing. So it's basically restored my faith in humanity <laughs>
3: <laughs> yes. um,
1: and meeting people that are genuinely good people. Not everyone is rotten to the core or, um, it's just, uh, yeah, it's, it's been a, a really long journey to get there. And Grant has definitely, you've pushed me ridiculously hard and I appreciate every excruciating second that you've done it. So <laughs> thank you. Um, but when I first started, um, I, I didn't know. I felt like I was, you know, I had no idea what I was doing. I just like being silly and playing characters. And uh, Grant said, you know, we have great chemistry. We should do a two-person show. And that's what really threw me for a loop. And I didn't want to do it. I was terrified, but you pushed me to do it. And I'm really glad I did because, like, I I would basically throw up or, you know, I I have basically IBS right before every single show. <laughs> and it's awful. <laughs> And I, I, I still kind of battle with that, but not as bad like beforehand. Like I would just curl, and I like I was crippled with anxiety and now like I can manage my anxiety so much more. I can actually like sleep through a night and I totally attribute it to improv. Because I I no longer fear other people. I feel like it's really um up to the meter on me not being so I guess naive for lack of better word. I'm really naive sometimes, especially when I first meet people and I put a lot and I used to put way too much trust in people. And then I, you know, tracked it back, but I'm like, I can't trust anyone is how it felt. So I just doing improv and all the trust exercises that we've done and really, um, I guess like sharing my story with other people was hard and, there are so many amazing souls that came to this theater and that keep coming. And You know, our, our players are awesome and such good humans that it was really life-changing to see that there is good in the world. And things can be positive. Like, I always force myself to try and look at the bright side, but, you know, I was in a really dark place. And it's not that dark anymore. So that's, that's good. It finally feels good. You know, I remember
3: we had a party here at the house that Christmas, and I took a picture of everyone from the party in this living room here. And um, when I posted it, I looked at that picture, and there were probably 20-something people in the room. And I thought, what what caption should I put on this photograph? And it's it was so difficult because... There is so much emotional connection with all the people that I, what I wrote was, I went out in search of a little fun, and I found a family. That's so true. I know. Because that... You, I mean, sometimes I feel like we trust the people in this group more than we might trust some people in our biological families. (laughs) Absolutely.
1: Because every single thing we do
3: is based in trust. And that's a very deep level of trust that you probably won't get to in a lot of your everyday relationships.
0: Well, I remember seeing the, the two person show, Grant and Casey, in November and December when I was just a uh, Parker Players groupie. <laughs> <laughs> and
3: we and uh, you were a very that. dedicated <laughs> yeah. one yeah. there. That. that guy that showed up, we just couldn't
2: get rid of
0: him. <laughs> Did you get my flowers, Crystal? <laughs> 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 but you mentioned being nervous, and I've seen it on the other side now when we performed a couple weeks ago. but it never showed on stage. Like, I remember seeing both of you on your, your two-person and just watching that going, these are just masters of the craft. Like, it just never, if it, you were not nervous to me at all. Like, I never got a sense that you weren't anywhere where you were supposed to be, that you weren't, you know. What I mean? Yeah, uh, I'm like glad that, I didn't throw up on stage. <laughs> yeah. so it crosses
1: my mind sometimes. <laughs>
0: But so in control and so masterful and just things were slowing down. Like, if you were nervous,
3: couldn't tell. Thank you. That means a lot. (laughs) Yeah. I remember walking into the, um, we had a, a short run at a comedy club in Denver. A few years ago. And I remember walking into the comedy club one night and going, Okay, how are we doing? Where is everybody? And someone's like, Well, we've got two that just threw up. One is in the bathroom. (laughs) Casey's still on the toilet. (laughs) I'm like, All right, so we're We're not ready yet. But we're good. We're all here. That's good.
2: Yeah, I've always viewed it as a good thing. Um, My students, I I understand the pain because I used to go through it. I went through it slightly before our first, Thirteen Warriors show. That that's the name of Casey and I's group, and uh, I it was my first time performing. I don't cons- I, I host all the Parker Player shows. I don't consider my job as hosting to be performing. Although some people might, to me it's it's not performing. I'm just hyping the crowd. I'm introducing the games, but I'm not really performing. But in Thirteen Warriors, I was actually performing again. And the first show back, uh, I felt nervous all day, but for me, it had been so long since I'd felt like that, that I craved it. It was this, I couldn't eat and I was just sitting there going, this is great. I was almost meditating (laughs) in the anxiety because it makes you better. Um, that's adrenaline that's pumping through your system and uh, studies in adrenaline with, with uh, firefighters in, uh, in the forest. When, when a firefighter is in a survival situation and they're fearing for their life, uh, they have so much adrenaline pumping through their brain that as a survival mechanism, our brain is actually processing information faster. And they've proven this by taking flashcards and they've rapidly fired flashcards in front of someone's face. And they said, what numbers could you name? And when someone does not have adrenaline, they, they can't name very many numbers because the cards are flashing too fast. But when they are uh, fearing for their life, uh, they can name a lot of like, the cards.
1: I want to know like this is <clears throat> experiment. Like, Did they lock them in a room? I, like, I, how, how do you fear for your life I don't, on well, command? I, I, they I, talk about butt stuff. <laughs> <laughs> yes,
3: exactly. Here's yes.
2: your $100. Yes. <laughs>
0: yes. The bad news. Each,
2: each firefighter was approached with anal, and then they no flashed hoop. cards before their face. They flashed cards before their face. Um, I, I, I think the experiment, they were taking firefighters out of the field that had just finished a shift. Got it. And so then it was they, like leftover adrenaline. Right. So they still had the huge adrenaline pumping through their veins, like like anyone who's who's uh, who's experiencing fear and um, when they flash the cards in front of their face they could name many many numbers that they saw because their brain is processing information faster than um uh than we're used to when we don't have adrenaline in our system so it's a survival mechanism we can actually think of more things when we're trying to survive and get out of that situation and the same adrenaline Uh, is going through our veins when we're scared for a show. It's the same type of fear. You don't want to fail. You don't want to look bad in front of an audience. That adrenaline makes you better at improv because you can actually process things much faster than the audience can. And uh, I always knew I was going to have a good show when I felt like that uh, because I always recognized that it made me better. So um, I I felt it again for 13 Warriors because I felt incredible pressure performing in Colorado again with my background um I I knew that I was a a former member of Second City in Chicago and there's not many of us in Colorado and I felt a ton of pressure to live up to that
1: yeah and Uh, you're performing with a complete noob right well again (laughs) I I I didn't
2: want to let everybody down I didn't want to uh let down my uh, resume and and my my reputation of of what I was doing, and uh, it made me nervous. But that only happened for that first show, and it was gone again. And when you do this as long as I have, it's really hard to get it back in show situations. Other things certainly scare me, but I I, I don't fear shows very much because it's all about stress testing yourself. It's all about pushing yourself. And uh, auditions. Uh, got me over being nervous about shows because auditions are way worse than shows Um, auditioning in chicago you get rejected all the time Uh, i i would go through seven rejections before i ever got a call back and an improv audition you have five to ten minutes cold not warmed up with people that aren't in your troop that you've never worked with before and you have to go on stage in front of judges—about six to eight judges—who are not an audience. They they rarely laugh at you, and they want you to improv scenes. And you've you've got five to ten minutes to impress them, and that scared me terribly. I would arrive to my audition early because you can't get late. If you're late, you're fired, just like any other audition. So I knew I so I'd get there early. I would listen to <laughs> inspirational music in my car. That's I, inspirational music. Uh, the soundtrack to Rudy and the soundtrack to Miracle. Uh, <laughs> nice. I, I would listen to those soundtracks and I would, I would say to myself, you know, I'm going to come on that field and I'm going to play for Notre Dame. <laughs> and I'm like, I'm going to come in that theater and I'm going to be one of your house teams. I'm going to be one of your number one performers. And I am auditioning with the best in the world. I was not unique in, in me coming from Colorado to Chicago. There's 2,000 of us that do that every single year around the world that will come to Chicago to learn improv. So my story was not unique there. It was not impressive there. So you learn that very fast that no one cares where you came from and what you did before this. Everyone has the same story. So uh, I, was, I was auditioning against these amazingly funny people from all around the world and it scared the crap out of me so bad every time that doing a show with people I know and trust no longer bothered me and so it's again it's all about pushing yourself you will always stop fearing the thing you fear now if you keep doing it so the shows fear my uh, the shows create fear for my students right now, but they won't always. Two years from now, my same students will no longer have IBS before a show.
1: Uh, <laughs> I, I'm holding you to that. <laughs> yes,
2: but they'll need the next thing to, to to evolve in this. They need the next thing. They need those auditions. They need something else. Um, I don't know that that scares them beyond anal.
3: <laughs> Fair. Well, you know what? So. <laughs> Those
2: are a clown box. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Well, clown box was interesting. So there was a, there was so much innocence behind that name and we got so much shit for it. Yeah. But the, so, so here's the truth. I didn't name it clown box, but the, many of the members lived in the same house. They were all known as kind of class clowns and they were all very, very funny people. So it was actually their house got nicknamed the Clown Box because it was a it's box, box of full clowns. of clowns. And then afterwards, after we started stopping ourselves, because no one really knew when I joined the group who, who the group was, but the group got a reputation. We started selling out shows and people were like, oh, you know what that means uh, in Europe? That's a tattooed vagina. That's called a clown box. And what? we're like, what? And then everyone's like, you know, I just come to your show and I'm just thinking that you're, you're trying to name yourself a clown pussy. And we're like, no, yeah. that's not, <laughs> that was not the intent at all. Uh, but we were so, we'd been using that name for years that we're pretty much stuck with it. And sometimes we'd even get contracts for shows and, and people are like, well, let's talk about this name. What does that mean, Clown Box? Yeah, this? and then as soon as we explained <laughs> as soon as we explained the history, people were okay with it, but I had no idea it was such a controversial name uh, when I first joined the group. We were just innocent, you know, 22-year-olds.
3: Well now Casey's gonna start doing tattooed vagina skin. <laughs> I, I was like, oh you can do that. Interesting. Oh you can tattoo anything. Yeah. <laughs> well, so what you said resonated with me because you talk about your students in two years won't feel um, the fear that they feel today. You can't have growth without pain and fear, right? Right, and that's why you know we all show symptoms of our, our pain and fear differently, and we, but in the process, we're all growing, and that's the big takeaway. Mm -hmm. Um, it's a process that we all might get together at the same time because we're in a dark place or we're going through something emotionally
1: but at the end we come out better people and I think it's also made me more fearless in my daily life where I'm like if I can go you know not know anything about improv like back then and do a two person show with you and I can you know obviously heavily rely upon you (laughs) in the first few shows um I was I I had nothing to be afraid of in my day to day life. I'm like if I can do that, if I can get up on stage, no script, thick on my feet, like I, I can I can tackle whatever comes my way, and I'm gonna live through it. I'm not gonna die. Like that's what I always tell myself. Like you're not gonna die. If this show completely sucks, you bomb, whatever, and you, or you just don't feel good about it, you're not gonna die. Fortunately, fortunate, or unfortunately. you always get through it. You always get through it.
2: You learn right. that about improv. As long as your mouth is moving and things are coming out, you're improvising. Yeah. You, you just got to keep doing that till the show's over. I've had some bad shows, I've had some terrible shows. And that's the thing is it, 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 when the show goes bad, time goes slower. And, and it's, you, painful. it's painful.
1: We've had some of those. <laughs> yeah. oh, it's God. super painful. I just had like a flashback of dinner at, and there was maybe four, pe- and time that there's four people in the audience, two. Or yeah. two, and they're just not into it at all. <laughs> and you just... say, Give me a suggestion, and they blink.
3: <laughs> He's staring at <laughs> <Yeah. there. laughs> it's, it's like, You have one job as the audience,
1: and there's only two of you. <laughs> like, do you want us to perform or not? Should we just leave? <laughs> yeah.
3: Or even sometimes the audience is great, and something sounds better in your head sure. than it does when it comes out. And, it's and just then nobody cracks. likes it. And you're like,
1: Darn, don't. <laughs>
3: You got it. But like you, Casey, I mean, you work in a man's industry, a male-dominated industry, yeah. right? So you're out there every day. You're trying to figure out how to guide the conversation, how to um, come to the table with a presence of a, yeah. that matches that of an older male that's a counterpart or a person in leadership.
1: That's important for women to learn. Yeah, definitely when you're talking about, you know, dollars. <laughs> and it's funny, um, like people at work found out that I do improv, and they're all, majority of them, well, the ones that are on the credit side, at least, are very introverted, and they're shocked. They're like, you're not one of us. You, you do this for fun? Oh, because they're financial people. They're, they're yeah, very they're introverted. very introverted. They like numbers. It's ho- and some of them are so funny. Like, they're some of the funniest people I've met. But they're so freaking weird. Like, <laughs> I, I would never, ever be like, you know. If you're I, listening, we're not talking about you. <laughs> I love all of you. Um, but you're so fucking weird. And we're all weird. But <laughs> it's just, when they find out that I do this, it's almost like I'm having an affair. Yeah. You know, they're just, they're that shocked that, you know. And a lot of them are coming to our next show. So I'm really nervous about that. Nice. Hmm. But oh, well I think so it. many
2: people don't understand it
1: they don't get it
2: in my world the improv is very attractive to introverted people
1: yes and it's intriguing they want to know more and
2: yeah and some of the most painful parties I've been to were improv parties organized by big Wait people in Chicago a I'm serious what is
3: an improv party
2: we're only you know improvisers among their community in Chicago you know we had parties so oh, yeah, oh, our oh. director was hosting a party so he would invite all his improv friends and there would be a hundred. 200 improvisers in this house party until the alcohol sets in. That is the most wallflower party that you will ever see of people that are so awkward. They don't know how to talk. And, and they, we all kind of just, we go to the people out. We know we go to the people that are in your troop and maybe there's one person in your troop that shows up and you're grateful to see them because it's someone, you know, and you cluster together and that's how it is. And when you go to festivals, it's the same way. You go to Miami Festival or New York Festival, or LA Festival. There's always after parties, and uh, in improv, we tend to not drink until after the show. So um, at the after party, many improvisers arrive at their party sober, and they are incredibly awkward and keep to themselves until the drinks set in. Once <laughs> the drinks set in, we get we do get goofy, we get funny, we we start you know uh, commingling and and uh, you know,
1: once you get comfy in once the you get comfy but that's
2: all alcohol without the alcohol
1: liquid bravery yeah
2: we're all fearful <laughs> off stage um someone even told me it was about permission because i i didn't understand it either I, i'm accused of being quiet in meetings all the time and that's also my improv mind of being a listener um i don't speak in meetings a lot because i'm trying to take in and remember everything everyone else is saying and i'm not just like in an improv show, I'm not concerned with what I'm gonna say next. So I get accused of being quiet a lot. But when I have permission and when I know I'm the leader of the meeting, I'm very task oriented and I will open it up and I will I will absolutely point to who's next to speak and I will control it. But if that's not me and I it's not my meeting and I know that's not my role, I I will go meeting after meeting without saying a word because I'm just listening to, to other people. Um, and I, I Almost every improviser I meet is introverted. Mostly, um, there's occasional oddities that are extroverted and very good at this. But I, I think we're we're uh, we're freaks and geek art form. We're, yeah. we're the bastard, <laughs> Randall, the stepchild of theater and actors. Your your general stage actor would also be scared to death of uh, doing improv. And I would say. Ninety percent of the- theater-trained actors. I know your dog is going nuts right now. You <laughs> can let her out. She's totally uh, yeah. fine. She wasn't bothering us. She's just snuggly.
0: She's just, Go yeah. get her. She's yeah.
3: jumping on everybody. <laughs> yeah, she can jump on me. You can let her
0: out. It's fine. All right, we'll see. We'll, we'll put her on next. Yeah.
2: <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, you even look at our um, our subculture of theater, and the majority of actors, real actors that that do drama are scared to death of improv. They respect it, but they would never do it. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and here we are, uh, the redheaded stepchild of theater, out here not having a script, doing it. And uh, we're, we are an odd bunch. We're, we're, we're generally weird people. We all have our weird thing. Um, it, it's just something about this. Like you said earlier, restoring my faith in humanity. I think that's one of the best things that I get out of improv as well is that although we're all weird, we come from different backgrounds. My Parker Players is a great example of that. We're such a weird weird group. group. (laughs) Such a weird group of age ranges from 22 to to close to 60. And we make it work. Somehow, we're all weird enough to bring our truth to this theater and to make it work. uh, When it shouldn't. It doesn't make sense that uh, such a generational gap shouldn't be able to uh, get on stage and make something together that makes sense and and be friends and and trust each other and and love each other as much as I'd say this theater loves each other. Um, It shouldn't make sense on paper, and it doesn't make sense on paper, but it just works.
3: Well, it works because you've taught us to speak the same language. Mm -hmm. When we get up there, whether it's in class or on the stage, we're all speaking the same language. we follow the same, um, well, we should, anyway. Unless <laughs> it's <laughs> <Almost laughs> the accent game. We're really not exactly. taking the same <laughs> <language>. <laughs> But you know, you know what I mean. Basically, yeah. we're, 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 there's foundational elements to doing improv. You don't just get up there and do what you want. Grant has taught us very specifically that there are certain things he expects of us. And if we're all doing those things, we end up
1: like a chorus line speaking the same language. Yeah. And like one thing I definitely neglected was I've been such a better listener. Like when I when before before I started, I would just listen to respond. I would maybe pick up the first couple sentences someone was saying and then I'd like think about how I was going to respond to that. And I would never Truly listen or hear what someone else was saying, and like that's so important. Like when we are on stage and we can't speak the same language, it's because we're. I, I have a new way of listening, and I've been able to take in so much more and learn so much more, especially from the different generations Yeah. and the different references, the things that I pff, have not. I've been completely turned off to because I hadn't been exposed to it. Um, but yeah, the age range is fun. <laughs> <laughs>
0: Well, going back to <clears throat> excuse me, like the fear and then the sense of humor, and I was there's another book that I have listened to a ton. It's uh, the Science of Fear, and they talked about if you can reframe something and make it funny, no matter how dark it is, it means that your brain is processing it in a different, like non-literal way that can help you cope with it. And they had examples about firefighters and concentration camp survivors and things. And if you can make something funny and probably inappropriate given the subject matter, but that means that you can process it and cope with it. And so at many times in my (laughs) life, I have reframed certain things that just like, Oh, I can laugh at this and this it's helping me, helping me cope. And I still remember, I think we were outside. The three of us were outside. Oh, it was Parker days. Mm -hmm. It was Parker days when, yes, You're about ready to go on stage and I was talking to Crystal and had somehow like let it slip that I was going through a divorce and it's like, oh well the last time I saw Crystal ten years ago I was going through a divorce and like you're the angel of death for (laughs) a (laughs) marriage. But like
2: it is not
3: (laughs) When the vision appears, be very worried.
2: (laughs) Crystal comes out of your television. (laughs) Your marriage is over.
3: <laughs> Grab your spouse yeah. quickly. And run. But but
0: I don't I hope you didn't take it personal, but it was just something
2: that was kind of funny I
0: in think,
1: the moment. I think that's a compliment.
2: I don't know if it's a compliment.
1: <laughs> if I'm you gonna, look I at it the right way.
2: No. I wouldn't say it was a compliment. It, it was an observation. <laughs> That's what comedy is. It, it, Two it's Two data points. Right. It's a, it's a it's a truthful observation. <clears throat> right. Uh, and and yeah, I I uh, agree. Comedy is healing. As soon as we've we've uh, experienced something long enough to joke about it, and laugh about it, you are healing. Mm-hmm. Uh, that's true with any any event that we that we've gone through. And those people, in my opinion, because you do comedy long enough, you're going to offend someone. Uh, I I've Noticed in my years of doing this that every time I've offended someone, it was by complete accident. I've never gone out of my way to offend someone, but what I have realized at the end of my shows when when people confront me about it, because I have been confronted about how offensive I was that night, and I realize it's not me; um, it was them. They're, they're the ones that haven't healed. They're the ones that haven't aren't ready to explore the subject matter. And this was their moment to attack someone for something negative that happened to them. And I, as soon as I realized that I became a lot less concerned with offending people, it's inevitable. This is comedy. And I know for a fact that I've never tried to do that. It's not my style. I'm not an offensive comedian, but you're gonna offend people. That that's just the nature of comedy. And every time I've done it, has been complete innocence, where my my character was just exploring and saying something that triggered someone in the wrong way, and they let me have it after a show. But that's on them. You're They're exploring anal, right? I was exploring anal, and Casey was so mad. I about was it. so upset. <laughs> I was so offended. Yeah, how dare you make me do anal? Yeah. <laughs>
1: a so, but about family like friend, yeah. yeah, yeah, family well, friendly you know.
2: <laughs> for, for a true, uh, a true, true life situation, it was the last time it happened. I said something about sticking my finger down my throat. It was a very one-off comment that my character was doing for some reason. I was like, oh, ah, I mean, I had to stick my finger down my throat, and that's all I said. I, it wasn't exploring eating disorders at all in my comedy. It wasn't making fun of anyone. Bulimic. No, uh, it, it just was a line that I said about my character needed to stick his finger down his throat or her. I don't remember anymore exactly what the character was. And this woman after, we, after the show, just let me have it. And she's like, eating disorders are no laughing matter. You know, my friend, uh, you know, uh, went through one. I, I, I don't remember everything she said, because at first I was just so shocked that she was yelling at me. Like she was very angry with me and she was just letting me have it after show and I, I was really taken aback by it because I wasn't trying to do anything controversial that night. <laughs> it was, uh, I wasn't trying to offend anyone. And I, I happened to really bother her. And, and that's, that's when I had the realization after exploring and analyzing everything that happened that night, I realized it was her. She was the one that had been holding on to this pain and hadn't been um, healing. And she wasn't in a place where she could laugh about it she was in a place where she was angry still about it and and uh and I just happened to be the the person that she let that anger out on um and that's that's the comedy world I I think that that it's it's the job of the comedian to um to continue to explore the world and to explore truth and to laugh about truth when when we're ready to and realize that some people won't be ready to um but we just keep going we just keep performing and, and we can't worry about that in our minds we can't have that in the back of my mind i can't have that fear of not having a character that sticks his finger down his throat again in the future because it's not my That's problem off limits right it wasn't my problem it was her
3: problem yeah. well but here's the thing you don't know what happened when she went home from that show either right right sometimes people need to see something happen on stage and that circles back to the talk about how real life happens on stage yeah and maybe she went home at the end of the day and reached out to that friend or joined a support group or did a little more research or did something
1: to help with her healing. Yeah. Well, like if every audience member came in and said, this is the list of don't, or these are all of the life experiences I've been through. I have no sense of humor and don't talk about these. You know, like, you wouldn't be able to put on a show if every single person... And then that's a, that's what makes... Life is funny, and if you don't make it funny, it's not worth living. Right. It's just a dark place. Right. And well, we all offend. Oh, sorry, go ahead.
3: No, we all offend during a show. I mean, it happens because we cover so many different emotions on stage, nationalities, controversial... Um, topics in the news like it's all there playing out in real life you're you're not gonna have a show and have someone leave unoffended not offended i make fun of myself
1: it's self-deprecating humor yeah you know (laughs) well that's some of
2: the best subject matter you know i love to make fun of myself on stage as well or
1: even like the situations that i've been in and if someone were to ever you know that 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 would be yeah that's hmm.
2: well see again it comes back to The faith in humanity. Because even if I'm making fun of myself on stage, you don't realize how many people in the audience are so similar to you. We are so much more alike than we are unalike. Mm -hmm. It's an absolute truth of life. So even when you're exploring your own stuff that you are okay with.
1: (laughs) Or not okay with. Right.
2: (laughs) It doesn't mean that there aren't at least three to four people in the audience that are very similar to you that have gone through the same thing. They might not be ready to laugh about it. Mm -hmm. As ready as you are um so but you're right you can't you can't censor you because if you if you did that if you surveyed your audience before a show and said what subject matter can we not touch uh you would have so much subject matter that you can't touch that you can't even improvise no uh because you have too much off limits you would constantly be in your head thinking about what you can't say you'd be like a dog in a crate trying to get out but you couldn't
1: it's hard enough doing family friendly, <laughs> and cuss words yes. are off limits, you know, and or you get on a stage. <laughs> right, I agree, like I agree. I agree. Yeah. It
2: puts me in my head to to do family friendly shows, but I still think that we do it well. I, I don't. I do. You I do.
1: Yeah, that's good.
2: I mean, I, I even think I, looking at Clown Box, Clown Box, <clears throat> we didn't advertise ourselves as a family friendly show because we were in um we were in a college town, we were in Fort Collins, so we didn't need to have a family friendly show, but. We had uh, an idea in our minds to take the higher ground all the time. And to Our idea of playing at the top of our intelligence means that we shouldn't be dirty. But if you see our clips from our shows, we, we would say, damn, and we would cuss every now and then. It really wasn't that. But it wasn't the point of the show. And uh, and in my opinion, Clownbox put on family-friendly shows without even advertising it. Just because we were trying to play at the top of our intelligence. And that, that's always been my fear with non-family friendly shows is if you advertise it as an adults only show, you feel pressure to put something on for adults. Hmm. You feel pressure to achieve that rated R and um, you shouldn't, you shouldn't yeah. feel that pressure because that's not improvising either. Mm-hmm. It's a, it's a catch 22. You're damned if you do, you're damned if you if don't. You
0: don't. Yeah. <laughs> well, well I think it's the... Oh, sorry. Go ahead. No, <clears throat> I was
3: just going to say we've mastered the art of the innuendo. Oh, yes. <laughs> yes, We have. Yes.
2: Yeah. We're very good at that. And it's very fun. It's, In my opinion, innuendo is much more fun than blatant.
1: Yeah, than just going right creative. for the jugular. It's more creative. Yeah.
2: Right. It
0: is. But that's the difference in the art form, right? If we go out to write a joke about this beer can, right? Like there's intent and we're we've thought about it. We've... Um, modified it been through several revisions and yeah so somebody could come up to a stand-up comedian and go you this this offended me and there there there's intent behind that right like i'm going to take it darker or more obscene or whatever it is but i think people just don't understand the improv theater particularly this theater in general and that it's all made up, <clears throat> and that's just where it goes. And if people knew how supportive it was and how organic and how improvised and made up it was, that they wouldn't really have a leg to stand on to come up and say, oh, you were so insensitive about sticking your finger down your throat. You're like, if you just only knew, you, they, she wouldn't have said that.
2: Yeah. Hmm. Can set the dog free. Chris. <laughs> dog free Chris.
3: Yeah. I'm exercising my, my control my, right now, Grant. <laughs> it's my house. The dog will stay caged.
2: My dog in the crate metaphor. <laughs> yes. Was <forced. laughs> yeah,
0: it was all I could think of. Yeah. Well, um, we actually have to get to rehearsal and this has been an hour fifteen. It's just been awesome. So Wow, um, it's about like fifteen. <laughs> time flies. <laughs> yeah. so any any last thoughts about improv or anything like that or
3: i I'm moved um, today just by hearing all the stories of how it was such an emotional journey for everyone who all four of us um, ending up in the same place at the same time. I believe the universe puts us in each other's lives at the right time uh, for a reason. And um, to be open to that and realize the beauty behind it is something we can all benefit from. And that's where the magic in this group happens. Yeah. Absolutely.
2: I, I completely agree with that. It's yeah. about it, Improv is about giving up control. Giving up control is what scares people so much.
1: Especially and, when you have anxiety. Yes, <laughs> and, all you want is control,
2: and that is why everyone should do it. I get why everyone's afraid of it, but everyone should do it because everyone needs to experience giving up control. I completely agree in the universe, in the energy, and that people come together for a reason. I, I strongly believe in all of that, and but to believe in that is to believe in the concept. Of giving up control. Because if you believe in that. Then you have to believe and trust the universe. <laughs> and that is the scariest thing of all. To, to trust. That I don't know what comes next. But I know I'm going to be okay. That scares the hell out of people. But I've, uh, I'm so much stronger when I have my improv mind. Because that is on the forefront of my mind every time. I don't know where this is going, but I'm going to be OK. Mm-hmm. It works in your scene, and it works in life. Um, mm-hmm. That's why improv is so special to me.:
3: And not to dismiss it. Not to recognize, "Oh my God, this is happening." Mm-hmm. Right. I'm not going to let it happen.": right. you know, to That's control. Be vulnerable. Mm-hmm. To right. It. right.
2: Any, any form of control is anti-improv. Improv, it's non-control and the acceptance of non-control.
1: In spelunking and exploration. Yes. Yes. And it's beautiful.
2: Well, Grant,
0: Crystal, Casey, thank you so very much for making the time. This is very special. I appreciate it. Thank you.
1: Thanks yes, for thank that. you. It was great. This is the same table I got all those socks at. Oh. I was just about, like, In this chair. In this, this is the sock chair. I've a lot of parties here yeah. of socks. I think
2: more than 30. It got close to 50 socks that
1: part. I have a giant garbage bag full of them because I still need to go through and rip some of them out. I took like my favorite ones out. Socks
2: and Pop Tarts. That's your nickname yeah. now. <laughs>
1: That's what what we'll call this episode. (laughs) (laughs)
3: And with that, we're out. Thanks, everybody. Thank you.